0: Welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi. on stage. Um, by the time this episode comes out, I will be performing back on stage at Shaker's Show Lounge in Surrey in about two weeks' time. Uh, go peep my Instagram story in case you're interested on, in set times and you want to come chat in person about the show. I people have done that and I really really enjoy that when people do and they buy a dance and like let's just chat about the podcast and I'm like yes this is the ideal situation so I would love that um please come see me at some point if not that's totally okay um I am as I mentioned a stripper I'm also a digital content creator so I do have an OnlyFans, which is like a really like low maintenance thing for me to do but it's a really fun way to chat with me if you want to get spicy content, you can find that link somewhere there. I will not advertise on that show for this. Um, and I was also a sugar baby, um, oh God, I guess almost a decade ago now. But I sometimes like to chat about that on other bonus episodes, which you can find on Patreon, which brings me to patreon.com slash strip by That's where you can find all the video exclusive content for the show from uh, basically season four onwards. You can find all the... Uh, Video fun, video fun video content um, on there of all the guests that come on the show. And um, that's also a really great way to support the show, too. That is all going to fund the website, which is by this time, hopefully live. <laughs> that is uh, what I am hoping for because it is uh, September right now when I am recording because I will be away in October. So, yeah, there's some fun places you can um, support the show and find me in other ways. Um, We are also on Skyhawk After Dark TV, which is an adult industry network for other like-minded podcasts, um, vidcasts as well. Some really cool shows that are on there. So you can go ahead and peep that as well, skyhawkafterdark.tv. And those are all the annoying announcements I have to make for every single episode. But you know what? Compared to other podcasts, this is only two minutes long compared to 15 or 20 minutes. So you're welcome. Um, If you are new here... (laughs) Uh, the show, this show is all about uh, destigmatizing sex work. I've been doing this every single week for the past three years and a bit, and I bring on different guests every single week to kind of share their experiences, their stories, um, just to provide a really transparent approach to sex work, because a lot of people like to make their own assumptions and have their own opinions on what we do, but they're not actually in the industry and are very, very far away from our world. So I thought I would, you know, not do that disservice and actually bring my friends on and people that I want to be friends with on the show Um, every single week. That's literally what it is. I want to be friends with you. Please come on my show and we'll chat and shoot the shit. So um, today is no different. Another person I want to be friends with (laughs) is... I want
1: to be friends with you too.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Like now you know why. (laughs) No, this has been listener requested, so I am taking and trying to take into account a lot of listener requests for this particular season. I know that was happening for the past uh, couple seasons as well, but um, Charlie Beckett has been requested to come onto the show, and she's one who's going to be joining me today to speak about and also this is where the trigger warning is going to be put in right now. Um, There is going to be some talk about um, addiction. We're also going to be talking uh, and mentioning uh, substance use because this episode is all about uh, sobriety and addiction as well. So I just want to put that out there. I'm slowing down the speech. I'm just letting you know. um, Big trigger warning here. If either of these are a trigger for you, feel free to stop you know, listening, that's totally okay. We're not going to be offended. Uh, feel free to play it on at some other time as well. Um, I'm also going to try to put some timestamps in when those mentions are going to be within the show. So check the show notes below. And, um, yeah, I'm really, really excited to kind of have this conversation with Charlie and for her to share her story Um But also like how sobriety has maybe changed her like view of sex work or not view of sex work, but how she operates in sex work, um, how she navigates clients. I'm also interested in hearing about that, too, because I know a lot of you and I had a big, big, big conversation about this on Twitter a few months ago, you know, and a lot of people are kind of split between being sober or trying to balance um, how much substance or like alcohol they're taking in, or drugs, or whatever it is that you do. So um, I'm really, really excited to, you know, finally have this conversation on the show that's dedicated to this. So enough of me rambling. Charlie Beckett, are you there? Oh my God, five minutes. Hello, <laughs>
1: I'm here.
0: <laughs> that was a lot.
1: <laughs> I, was, I was very impressed by how concisely you got that information out in that period of time. So Congratulations
0: thank you. I try. I really try. But (laughs) this episode um, is is really all about you. I cannot wait to get to know you as a person better. Um, Cannot wait to hear you share your story. And I feel like it might be a story that resonates with a lot of us. Um, And also, it's just really cool to hear your own personal perspective, which I think is, you know, everyone brings their own thing to the table. So I'm really curious to see how you navigate sobriety in your life and then also within sex work. But um, I forgot to even mention Charlie Beckett is a full service sex worker based here in Canada uh, on the West Coast, where I'm also located. And um, yeah, you've been doing this for a little while now, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've been doing um, some semblance of sex work or what would be considered sex work adjacent probably for like seven or eight years now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is probably a good time maybe if you want to kind of go into your origin story. Like, how did you find yourself in sex work? Is there a story? Sometimes people are just like, I just wanted to. <laughs> and that was like the story. Um, feel free to take it. <laughs> take the reins.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, So, yeah, I guess um, it's sort of murky, like, when I really started uh, using my sexuality for some kind of gain, like, whether it be financial or otherwise, Um, but I would say, like, the definitive time when I decided that I was going to use my sexuality to profit in some way was about eight years ago when I got into... A relationship with a guy in England and he um, had just received a large amount of money and um, I was doing a lot of drugs and he was doing a lot of drugs and I truly pretty much just dated him because meant I could get drugs so I would say that that's kind of the first time I had sex with someone so that I could get something from them that I wanted Um, And then that kind of progressed into, um, yeah, just like, you know, sleeping with guys for drinks or favors or whatever, all this kind of thing. And then, um, I went through a very traumatic personal event, um, where I was deported from England (laughs) and, uh, yeah, um, I actually got married when I was in England and that, guy after I left him because I should have (laughs) he was not the best um he told the government and then I got deported so oh I came back yeah it was really shit yeah I'm really (laughs) sorry that is really shitty it's okay it was like yeah that was like seven years ago now I guess So, um, I came back and I was like really not in a good place mentally. And I was definitely like deep in my addiction, especially drinking alcohol is my drug of choice. And, um, I didn't have anything, right? Like I didn't have any money. I didn't, you know, I I was heartbroken and a long-term friend, um, told me about seeking arrangement. She'd been on seeking arrangement and, um. We were out for dinner and she said, yeah, you know, I can make $300 in a night just like going out for dinner with a guy and like going back to his place and having sex with him or whatever. And I was like, wow, I can't even imagine making that amount of money in that short amount of time. And so um, I went on seeking arrangement and that was back in like the golden days when it was actually good. It's terrible now.
0: (laughs) Yes. I was going to say, was this around like 2013-ish? like? 2014-ish because
1: yeah I guess like maybe a little later than that maybe like I think it was like kind of right at the end of the golden age of seeking arrangement because there were a lot of time wasters but there were also like good good guys on there
0: yeah yeah that was kind of around the same time that I was doing when I was sugar baby This was like 2013 to like
1: 2016 when I exited oh it. my god uh <laughs> yes <laughs> when the it was good still good yeah the good old- yeah <laughs> Yeah. I mean, my first client flew me to Chicago to see the Rolling Stones. Like it was a good, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, And so then I was doing that on and off for a couple of years. Um, uh, It was like a, it was a great way to um, honestly finance my addiction on top of everything else that I was doing. Um, And I, and like also maintain sort of a, a comfortable life while going through that situation and being an addiction and like really struggling with my mental health, um, I was still able to like stay safe and comfortable the majority of times because of the amount of money that I was getting um, through my sex work. And I ended up in a relationship with a an abusive guy. And I stopped doing it for him for a while and really struggled doing other jobs. You know, I feel like so many of us have been through that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Supporting <laughs> him financially, even though I like, oh, God, it was the worst. And then, yeah. And then I broke up with him. Um, And I had been sober for like a few months at that point, Um, just because I was like, I'm in a really dangerous situation right now and I need to I need to have control over something, and so my diet and um, my substance use was something that I could control. So I, you know, starved myself and stopped drinking, and um, and yeah, and then I left him, and I I started drinking again, and then I got back into I was like doing sex work, like monthly arrangements, sugar baby type stuff, and then I was also working in restaurants, um, so just drinking all the time, like all the time, and uh. And then I, a colleague, found me um, on in a Facebook group and uh, mentored me in um, hourly. She was so amazing. She was so lovely. She took me under her wing, helped me set up a Twitter, helped me write a Leo list ad, helped me, like she let me use her in call. She t- walked me through like how to structure a session and how to stay safe and how to screen and all of that stuff. Like it was so, I was so lucky to have that. And I like try to do that for other people when I can too. And then, yeah, I, I kind of did both for a while, monthly and hourly, but then hourly is just superior in so many ways. I feel like there's so much more control So, um, yeah, so then I started doing hourly, pretty much full time and, um, but one of my last sugar dates was actually the night that I went sober. I think it actually, actually, now that I think about it, it was my last sugar date. That was the last, yeah, I've never really realized that crossover actually, that like the last time I ever did sugar was the night I went sober. Wow. Wow.
0: Yeah, I mean I'd love to hear that journey. I mean, I have so many questions. I'd love to interject <laughs> as well. For sure, yeah. Like, so you mentioned like the beginning of your sex work journey, but um, it sounded like your your uh, vice was alcohol and that started before you started in sex work.
1: Yeah, so I started drinking, um, I would say I started drinking problematically, probably when I was 19 or 20. Um, and that led to use of other substances like I have done pretty much everything that one can do aside from um like meth and heroin thank Mm -hmm. goodness um Mm -hmm. so yeah I've I I had a cocaine problem I had a ketamine problem I had an acid problem (laughs) believe it or not like wow yeah I I went through it all and uh I was, like, a heavy smoker as well. I smoked weed and cigarettes. And, yeah, I mean, I just – I was a I was a party girl, like, for sure. Like, I loved it um, and also hated it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, yeah. too, because you were also mentioning, like, I know it's a stereotype within our industry. Like, you know, we're always on something or we're always drinking or whatever. But also you mentioned you spent some time in hospitality as well. And that, like, industry, because I'm also in the industry as well, like, that can also really um, propel – um, any kind of like substance abuse or usage uh, just because there's so much alcohol around these people, you get off your shift and then you're one person's drinking and then more people come and join. And then
1: they'll, everyone's have free drinks, free drink literally yeah. are like here, drink for free. Um, Enjoy your addiction on us. Like, yeah. yeah, I would say that if I had continued in hospitality after I stopped drinking and using, um, it would have been, much, much harder to get sober. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually don't really know how people do it, how people work in hospitality and go sober. It's, it's, I have a lot of respect for them, but I'm actually not sure if I would have been able to do it.
0: Yeah, that's really, really hard. And I mean, like talking about uh, your sobriety journey too. So you did have someone that was helping you kind of set you up in terms of like full service work and whatnot. Um, When were you kind of deciding like, I know that you're also, I'm just trying to um, kind of relay this back too, but you were also in a problematic relationship at the time too. And that's kind of why you were, you know, thinking maybe I should be getting out of the situation. Was that kind of what was propelling you or was there other external reasons?
1: Um, so that relationship ended about a year and a half before I actually got sober. But towards the end of the relationship, I... um I did go, well, I like to call it dry because I had intended to start drinking again and using again. So I was going to go dry for a year just because I was in that, I was in that relationship. He wasn't letting me do sex work. He was very mm-hmm. controlling. He was a narcissist. Mm-hmm. You know, I dated a narcissist. Woo. Yeah. Um, How fun. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, but that was sort of my first, like, I was like, I don't have control over what's going on and I need I need to have control over what's going on because my therapist says I'm a control freak, but also, you know, we like to have control over our own lives. So Mm -hmm. at at the, around the end of that relationship was kind of the first time that I was sober for like more than a month than I, since I had ever started, started drinking or using. And, um, and yeah, it gave me kind of the, for lack of a better word, I don't know why I can't stop thinking chutzpah to get out of <laughs> that uh, that relationship at that time. But then, yeah, I, I did start drinking again, and then I got back into sex work, and um, and I was still working in the service industry. So, yeah, it's interesting what you say about the service industry and addiction because um, with sex work, you do you do. <sighs> I actually want to preface a lot of what I'm saying, and I was going to say this at the beginning, but I forgot with um, the caveat that I come from a place of extreme privilege. Um, I have a middle-class upbringing. I have a good education. um, I am thin. I'm white. um, I'm, you know, I, I just, I have a lot of privilege. So a lot of the things that I say, like, don't necessarily apply to everyone in the industry. So, I personally have a choice about what kind of client that I can choose. And I know that not everyone has that choice, but I have that choice. And when I was in addiction, I would choose clients who also drank and used because that would um, help me with my addiction and I could like perpetuate that and like do that with them. Um, Now I have the choice to not see clients who are drinking and using i have a caveat on my website that says if you show up visibly intoxicated you leave with no refund, and i don't allow you to drink or use in sessions or anything so i definitely lost my train of thought but uh
0: (laughs) now let's let's now we're in the station (laughs) (laughs) and this is why i'm the host because i always try to scare everyone back because i do love tangents i am always like the one to always <laughs> enable all the tangents to I'm like, I have questions about this, but actually I did have a question from earlier too. Cause, um, you were also talking about like sex work and like your entry into that was kind of born out of an exchange, uh, for drugs. Like, was this something that you were considering? Is this something that was brought on to you by your then boyfriend or husband at the time? Or how did that exchange kind of materialize?
1: Um, It's something that I've sort of only realized was sex work adjacent in retrospect. I think at the time, I still had a lot of internalized whorephobia and would never have considered um, having sex for money. But for some reason, in my mind, dating someone for their money and drugs was totally different. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's where that's where that came from. At the time, I didn't realize what I was doing, really. But in retrospect, I feel like that was kind of my intro to the industry
0: hmm Yeah. And I feel like a lot of us – and I'm just generalizing and also just <laughs> kind of piggybacking on your experience because it's also similar to my experience as well. Like, I also had, like, a lot of internalized horror phobia as well. And, like, in my mind, like, having sex for hotel room or, like – This sounds crazy to me, but like a ride home or for like drinks or good night out or dinner, like that to me cushioned it and made me feel a lot better. That, like, well, I'm not having sex for money. I'm not prostituting myself, you know? Like, and I, and I, like, the more I talk about it, the more feedback I could be, I, I get from people to be like, I also had the same thing or I also have like similar thoughts to that. So, yeah you're not alone on that for sure,
1: yeah. I think like women are so devalued in our society that like we're seen as just like we're we're seen so much as just like vessels for sex and children that like mm-hmm. yeah, like, oh, if I do something for you, then this is like the value that you have to me, and we feed that off that and internalize that, and then you know we we do things that we don't necessarily want to do just because we think that's okay or like we've been told that that's okay totally yeah but it also can be okay right yeah. like i want to point out that like if you want to fuck someone for dinner like do it queen like or yeah. king you know like get it done like i i have fucked for a nice dinner and i do not regret it like <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's a good thing too, because like, I, I don't know, maybe this is just me and the people that I have come into contact with before within our industry, like early on that really perpetuated like horphobia and the hierarchy. But like, it's okay to have sex for whatever gain that you want. I know a lot of people think like, It's for money. It's only for money. And that's the only thing you can get. And then shame people for those who are doing other things for other things that they want, whether it's like rent money or whether it's gifts or a purse or a vacation or something. Um, It's really. I mean, I think
1: that also like lends to the idea of classism, because a lot of people who have sex for things that aren't money do it because they have to because you know, yeah, like you said, like rent money. Like, you know, I need to feed my kids. I need to pay the rent. Like I, you know, I live on the street and I need to have a shower. So I want to rent a motel room tonight. Like whatever it is, like the idea of shaming someone for that, but not shaming someone for fucking for like a purse or a fancy dinner. Like I've seen that so much too. And we need to understand that like, you know, we are doing the best we can in this weird patriarchal misogynist society that we live in. Like, we're all doing the same shit to survive. Yeah. We're all hoes,
0: period. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever word you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) But tangents aside, going back to your story, um, you were mentioning the last day you sugared was the first day of your sobriety. Did you wanna speak about that part of your journey?
1: Yeah. So um this is like pretty fucked up story. So you might wanna like ping this part here for sure for a content warning. Um I yeah, I I had decided that I mean, I had been through so many um restrictions on myself like I'm only going to drink gin I'm only going to do cocaine with this person I'm only going to do this or that whenever anyways so I had decided I wasn't going to do cocaine for a week (laughs) which sounds crazy to me now but then it was really difficult and um I went out for dinner with a guy I met on Seeking and he you know got us a bottle of wine and then he asked me if I wanted to like come back to his place and do some blow and I was like well it's free so it doesn't count I guess I don't really know <laughs> I I found this interesting thing in addiction where I would like make a decision and then like find myself having gone back on that decision but not even really realizing how it had happened mm. um so anyways next thing I know we're at is apartment and uh, we're drinking gin and we're doing blow and other drugs I can't even really remember I was smoking a whole pack of cigarettes like it was um yeah it was really intense and then I was like oh can you get more drugs and then um he was like yeah sure like if you fuck me without a condom and I did right like I did BBFS for drugs and um yeah it was uh It was fun but it was horrible and like it's just I it's very fuzzy and weird and and at about 9 a.m I just suddenly was like I was lying there and I think he was saying like you shouldn't have sex without a condom for drugs or something (laughs) like the audacity of him telling me after he had asked for it
0: yeah and
1: he was like stay here and sleep it off like you're really fucked up and I was like no, like I need to leave right now. Like this isn't okay. I didn't want to do this. It's nine in the morning. I'm still awake. I feel horrible. Um, I, I don't have control over myself. Like I, I didn't, I said I wasn't going to do this and I did it anyway. And I, and that wasn't a decision that I felt like I had even made. Yeah. And, um, I had been sort of in this dark place where I had tried to sort of moderate and do harm reduction, um, which works great for a lot of people, didn't work for me. Um, And I just couldn't, I couldn't moderate. And I was sort of just in this place where I was like, well, this is me. I'm going to be like this forever. I'm probably going to die. And there's nothing I can do about it. But there was something about this guy telling me that I shouldn't have done what he asked me to do that sparked this thing in me where I was like angry. I was angry at him. And like, I've, anyone who knows me knows I find a lot of power in, in anger, um, and anger at injustice. Yeah. And so I, I stumbled out of his apartment in Yale Town at 9am and I called my roommate, um, who's, had never done sex work, total civilian, no problems with alcohol, super goody two shoes. We are still very, very close friends. Mm-hmm. And I called them and I said, I need help. And I'd never said those words before. Yeah. Um, But I realized that I did. <laughs> I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. And um, yeah. And that was it. Like from that moment on, I think I took a couple sleeping pills to just deal with being in the hospital and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. I I quit smoking. I quit drinking. I quit all drugs. I was still doing some edibles medicinally to sleep, but that's it. God, it was horrible. Yeah. Was it was horrible.
0: Yeah. I was going <laughs> to ask, like, was this just, – it just sounds like you quit cold turkey. Was that – you're nodding. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it <was> wow. So- <laughs> That's Mm -hmm. so hard. I was going to ask, like, yeah, my next question was, like, well, what was the withdrawal like? And, like, can you take us back to that time? What was
1: Um, going through your
0: head? What was your body feeling?
1: Yeah, I think it was just kind of, like, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to be alive, which is, um, I think, something that a lot of people can relate to as well. Um, And it just kind of was... This moment where I was just like, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just going to see what happens if I don't do this anymore. And a lot of people were like, you can't do it. It's not going to happen, whatever. And there's also the part of me that's stubborn. So that's, I stuck by it. But um, yeah, what ended up happening on this, that day was my friend came in, my roommate came and picked me up and, they took me to a detox center, which was full. They're all full all the time. You have to wait. Thanks, BC Health. Um, <laughs> Yay. And then they took me to the hospital, and I asked to be admitted, and they wouldn't admit me because I didn't have a plan to die by suicide. So I they sent me home. Gosh. Um Yeah. So I, yeah, they, they basically were just like, well, if you don't have a plan, to die and there's no detox beds then you know off you go bye-bye like go home put yourself on the wait list yeah mental health and addiction support in this province is abysmal I mean just walk around in my neighborhood it's horrible um so yeah I went home and um I called all the detox places and they said the wait was a week um and they told me not to stop using they said do not stop because if you stop for a couple of days and then you relapse, that's how you die. That's how people OD. Really? So, yeah, because I probably had a fentanyl tolerance from mm-hmm. doing street drugs, and then um, so you 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 don't use for like three or four days or whatever, and then you use again, you don't have that tolerance anymore, and you OD. I see. Okay. So That's literally how bad our mental health support is in this province is they tell you at the detox center not to stop using until they have space for you. That's crazy. Yeah. So I was like, no, I'm not going to keep using. I really, I really feel that I'm done. I really don't want to ever do any of this ever again. Um, Just like it was like a, a switch flicked in my brain.
0: Yeah, like and it was I just like so sudden for you too. I mean, like I'm sure this was just like being built up over time and you're like, okay, when is the breaking point or the straw that broke the camel's back? Like, and I guess that last time was the last time. That was last straw. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I, I had sort of, it had only been a few months before that I had sort of resigned myself I'm like, I'm an alcoholic and an addict and this is how I am and this is how I'm always going to be. And I just kind of resigned myself to that and like kind of like really gave myself over to it and then, um, and then kind of realized that I could also, I don't know, it's, it's almost like I didn't realize that I could choose not to do it. I thought that I didn't, I thought I didn't have the option and then I just did have the option and, um, That realization came in AA also. Um, I did go to AA. The next day, my boyfriend at the time took me to a meeting. And yeah, I still remember just like everyone talking and me being like, oh, I'm not the only person who thinks I'm the best person in the world and also hates myself (laughs) and like also feels all of these feelings. and, um, And yeah, everyone there was like super welcoming of me and my profession and like all that kind of stuff. And, um, and then, so I had that. And then also coming from a, a place of privilege, I did have a lot of friends who were not an addiction, um, and well-educated friends with like, you know, who their families had the money to, to support them and like make them safe and comfortable. And they were all my friends and they made a little group that was like, Team Charlie, they had a little chat and they made sure there was someone with me 24 hours a day for the first week. And by the time detox called me, I was like, I don't think I need you anymore. And I didn't go. And I just never, I just never relapsed. I just realized that I had that I, I realized that I had a choice I didn't realize I had before.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was your main, like, was there a trigger for that realization? Was there like something that sparked into in, inside of you? Maybe that was like, you know, I'm worth more than this or I can, I can actually do this.
1: Um, yeah. I think part of that was building as well. Cause I'd already been in therapy for a really long time and um, I'd started to like learn more about what I was worth, especially after ending that abusive relationship, like a couple years before I went sober I I really started to like learn about myself and learn about emotional intelligence and communicating with other people um, because I was really scared that I was going to be controlled by someone again like that. And I guess in a way working on that and working on myself led me to realize that I was being controlled by my addiction in that way. And I had left him by going sober briefly and I guess I realized that I could just like leave addiction as well in in the same kind of way that it was just like, it was like a toxic, abusive relationship that wasn't serving me anymore.
0: Right, right. I mean, it sounded like you had some good support systems around you you at that time. Like, do you think this would have been possible, like your sobriety journey and how quick you were able to like, and then also be successful in your sobriety journey. Do you think that would have been a different story if you didn't have the support around you?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Um, again, I consider myself extremely privileged. Like I had savings at the time. I had friends. I have support from like my dad who's dope. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I had, I had so much still, even though I felt like I didn't, I know I I had so much more than so many people have just like, I have so much that society values that definitely helped this be a lot easier than if I was marginalized in some way or didn't have the support network or the connections that I have. Um, I do know that like AA did really help me a lot, Um, but I also think that part of the reason why I never relapsed was because I had already sort of done a lot of the work that comes out in the 12 steps just through therapy and like all of that kind of thing. So I had already sort of. I'd already sort of started that journey while I was still in addiction. And so when the time came and I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this. Like I actually was ready. And I had that foundation because of like the privilege I had of like my parents putting in me in therapy when I was a teenager and like learned like my mom teaching me a lot about emotional intelligence um, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think a lot of my success definitely came from my privilege. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's interesting to note that too. And thank you for sharing that too. This is such a great story um, that I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with. And of course, there are people that won't be able to re- resonate with that too, um, without those pillars of support or and without um, these certain like it from being like really marginalized can be really a difficult, difficult journey to get out of that. So um, thank you for your bravery. And thank you for sharing this piece because I just feel like it's it's such an important conversation to have. Um, I'm really, really curious to see um, how you were able to continue uh, your sex work um, as a completely sober person and what that kind of landscape looks like now.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, When I first went sober, I was really scared that I couldn't do this job anymore um, because I would drink to numb myself so that I could, you know, do things that I didn't want to do. And I found after going sober, I made a commitment for the first year of sobriety that the only thing that mattered in my life was not drinking or using. And I could eat whatever I could want. I could do whatever I could sit around and watch TV all day as long as I made enough money to survive. And Um, again, with my privilege, it's quite easy for me to get clients. I had some repeat clients. I had clients who really supported my sobriety journey. Um, And so I really was able to just work a few times a week. And I had really cheap rent at the time, too. And I was just able to kind of just exist. And there was some... Sometimes it was hard. Like, I would have to take some bookings that I still didn't want to take. So I would go to a booking where there'd be, you know, people drinking or using or whatever. And I would pour myself a fake drink. I carried a bag of icing sugar around with me and would snort it so that people thought I was using with them and stuff because, you know, no one wants to use alone. Yeah. So, but I was, I was able to slowly phase those clients out. And then I really, Started to make sobriety a part of my brand, kind of out of necessity, because the more you're around drinking and using, the more likely it is you're going to relapse. Especially in early sobriety, honestly. Now I'm 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 pretty fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can be around a lot of that stuff, but I still keep it out of my work. Um, and so, what I started to find working in sobriety was that while I was working less and I was making less money. I was saving more money because obviously these huge expenses were no longer part of my life. Right. Um, and also I wasn't doing things that I didn't want to do anymore. Like I, if I didn't feel like working, I could just be like, I don't feel like working. And I mean, again, even just saying that the privilege is like insane, but Mm -hmm. that's my story. And I was very, I'm very grateful that I was able to do that. Um, and, yeah, and so I found that more and more that I was able to be, like, choosier with my clients and draw better boundaries and not mm-hmm. be like, okay, well, I guess I got to do this thing I don't want to do and, like, take a couple shots and do it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's really just continued. And it's like I've sort of just gotten, yeah, I just sort of, I think I have really, really good boundaries now. Um good. Better than better than I've ever had um I'm much more obviously I'm much more aware in sessions way fewer uh, negative things have happened to me because of um, because of my sobriety mm-hmm. um and yeah I just feel I feel a lot more in control of every aspect of my life for sure that's um, awesome yeah that's so good um, to hear yeah it's great um I do also want to acknowledge that like Sex work is such a good job for people in addiction because, um, yeah, again, I think like I touched on earlier, like when I was in addiction, it, it enabled me to still be like safe and comfortable to an extent Mm -hmm. that like beyond any other job. So it also, I think it also helped me realize my worth in those times, um, being like, oh yes, even though I'm, you know, struggling and I'm having issues with my mental health and I'm having issues with addiction, I still do deserve, like nice things, and I deserve to be comfortable, and I I deserve all of that, and that's just grown and grown and grown in sob- sobriety, just realizing what I deserve, and the more I feel good about myself, um, the better my job is, and the better my life is. That's so
0: great. I mean, there's it's so nice to hear the silver the silver lining that came out of this, and of also because you came from such a dark place um with a lot of the substance that are you taking in the time and it's really nice to hear this positive kind of like I don't want to call it an ending but like a new chapter maybe
1: <laughs> yeah <like> <laughs> yeah it feels kind of like yeah like a it's just like life is like an endless transition from you know birth to death I guess and it's just like there's ups and downs and it recovery definitely is not linear like I've had times where I've just been like what the fuck am I doing, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I still I still wake up sometimes in my apartment that is more glamorous than anything I possibly ever could have imagined I would have lived in and I look at the richness of my relationships with um, you know, my partners and with my friends and with my colleagues and with my clients and I'm just so grateful that I'm as like present and safe and grounded as I am because of being in sobriety.
0: Yeah. I think that's really, really great. Like, and even if like, for those who are listening, I know there's a lot of people that are are clients or people that are not even in our world at all in terms of adults. But there's also like a lot of my colleagues um, (laughs) that listen to the show too. And yeah, there's a lot of us that, you know, are still kind of in that, like, I need to have a drink while working and, regardless of the work that you do in in this uh, umbrella of sex work um and like it was a huge debate that when i had originally put this post on twitter like ages ago you're like oh who here works sober and who here you know can drink and who who doesn't want to work sober and it was such a huge divide it was so interesting i wish I could have like Incorporated a lot of those responses, but now it's just like dug into so far on my Twitter
1: timeline. Now. I wish I had like, seen that. I don't think I saw that.
0: Yeah, it was a long time ago. And like, I, I think a lot of it came from dancers specifically, um, and a lot um, from like full service sex workers as well. But it really was like split down the middle for those who were responding to that poll. And it was so interesting because, like, for me, like, I dance completely sober because, um, I had injured myself and I was going through some shit too. Again, that, that horror phobia again, when I first started dancing and be like, no, I don't want to be a stripper and all this stuff that was like in my mind. So it's like, I'll just drink a couple shots of whiskey. I'll be good. And I won't remember anything. And then, um, say a similar thing when I was a sugar baby too, I'd always be drinking. We'd always have a minimal, like minimum, at least one or two bottles of wine. And so I could just like get the deed done and I wouldn't have to feel anything. And then now I feel like um, with your conversation here with uh, with sobriety and your journey, I just feel like your sobriety has really helped build those boundaries up, or at least have solidified them, you know, maybe you had those walls already. But, you know, like, well, I I just for a little bit extra money, I can do this. And again, the things that you we don't really want to do, like, I think it's important to kind of recognize those boundaries. And if you were kind of having that conversation or having that kind of note, like I don't really want to do this, but like maybe you want to consider, consider. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: There's the flip side of that too, where like there are things that I did um, that I don't think I would be able to do now. For example, I had a client take me to hike Machu Picchu, which was insane. That's
0: amazing. Um. Yeah.
1: And I honestly like don't know. Obviously I wasn't drinking the whole time, but I did drink for quite a bit of it and I don't know if I could have put up with him without drinking. Yeah. Like I don't know if I would want to do that in sobriety. And so mm-hmm. I look back on that and you know, it's not all negative. Like I'm mm-hmm. like I'm glad that I had that experience and I'm I'm glad that I did that. I just got to a point where I, I realized that that wasn't the kind of experience that I wanted to have any more. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are some clients I probably could do that with, but yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I'm really picky now and I have a short fuse and I, <laughs> you know, I don't put up with shit. So, and I, that's where I want to be. And that's where I want to sit. Um, I know people who are sober, who, you know, don't have as short a short fuse and they're chill and they can do stuff like that. And I know people like me who want to keep drinking so they can keep having those experiences and keep doing that kind of stuff. And there's everything in the middle. And like, Mm -hmm. I like, for me, like sobriety has been the best choice that I've ever made. Um, I don't want to get in shit for saying that it's a choice, but for me, it, it did feel like a choice. Um, But you know, everyone is different. And like, I know people who are doing harm reduction and people who like, don't want to stop. And like, all of that is totally cool too. Like you have, you know, you have autonomy over your own life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's a really great way of putting it too because like, you know, we all have these different decisions um, that we have to make and there's no right or wrong way to, to how we do sex work. Um Again, I was just curious to be like, I just wanted to hear, like, you know, you know how does how do people work? <laughs> what works best? Totally, for right? And all of that, like, whether you're using or wh- whether you're partying, whether you're drinking or wh- whether you're sober, like, all of those choices, and I'm saying choices as well. <laughs> some of them, are cho- some of them are choices. Um, they're all valid. They're all valid. So totally, yeah. And I, and i feel too, like, um, like as a sex worker, we also grow. In different directions as well and that could have been a chapter for you early on in sex work I know there's like for myself there's certain things that I don't do anymore like I don't I don't offer any kind of full service work anymore I just focus on dancing and content creation because that's where I feel comfortable and I feel like it's almost like evolutionary to how we're growing as as people as well and I'm curious to hear like how sobriety has helped expand your business
1: and help you grow your business as well Um, Yeah. So um, I just have more. I mean, there's so many, so many ways that sobriety has helped me grow and expand my business. I think like one of them is just that I have like a lot more time. (laughs) I have a lot more time where I'm not drunk or I'm not hung over to the point that I like can't or don't want to do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have more time to you know, do photo shoots or, um, uh, go on social media or write better ad copy or write ad copy at all, (laughs) or like, you know, network with other people, do cool stuff like this, which obviously, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great in so many ways, but one of them is that like this kind of does expand my business and like, um, yeah, just like networking and connecting. And then also, the amount of time that it's given me to, um, well, <laughs> it's kind of forced me to really focus on my mental health. Um, because when you're not self-medicating anymore, you're not medicated anymore. So, um, I definitely took a lot of time to, um, focus on like getting diagnosed with, uh, like I just got diagnosed with ADHD, mm. um, which is really difficult in BC. And if you want any advice, let me know. Cause I will tell you how to do it. If you have $250, oh. you can do it really easily. Um, interesting. Okay. i uh,
0: we'll rain about this after.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. And so now I'm medicated for ADHD. So I'm, I'm on meth now. <laughs> no, it's just amphetamines. <laughs> but um, so much for sobriety. No, uh, but yeah. And so, like, working on myself and like learning what I really do need to support myself in terms of like substances or therapy or this or that or whatever. Um, that really has helped me just ground myself and be more centered in my business and have more time. To and obviously now, ability to focus
0: yeah. on, yeah, on my business. Focus. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Um, I was going to say, and then the money aspect too. Um, I'm able, I was able to invest a lot more in myself because I'm not spending it all on um, either substances or just like frivolous shit when I'm drunk. Like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to eat out every night and I'm going to buy a drink. And like, it's just like so much money. Yeah. So, yeah, I was able to, like, save, and I got liposuction, which, like, thanks to Ooh. our lovely society, um, uh, I'm thinner now, and so I get more bookings. <laughs> Fuck everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> also, just, like, um, yeah, able to focus more on, like, fitness and just, like, my physical appearance. Like, I can afford Botox now. I <laughs> like, I had hair <laughs> extensions. Like, all this stuff that just, like, makes... Men want you more, and as like fucked up as that is, that's the industry. And that is the industry. Um, yeah, and uh so yeah, that's like helped me be more successful as well. Like, I don't have short blue hair anymore. I have long blonde hair, and I make more money. Like, it's just what it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this all sounds like it's been yeah, like as as you mentioned, like as, uh, you said it was the best decision you've ever made, and it sounds like this is really made a difference um in your life and also like within sex work as well and like giving you the gift of time and extra income and focus and purpose though um which i think is so important um that everyone i think needs and sometimes we all we can get lost in this world or get distracted in this world a lot as well so it it just really sounds like you're super grounded right now
1: yeah, I mean, that's a scary thought that I'm a grounded person, but I guess it's true.
0: <laughs> Congratulations.
1: <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> God, if that's the standard, we're fucked. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, with that being said, um, there are a few questions that did come in from the audience as well that I'd love to kind of figure your brain about. Um, yeah, why don't we go into those questions? Some Q&A. Okay, so from Instagram, uh, once sober, what is something you noticed that was different in a session?
1: Um. Ooh, good question. That is a good question. Uh, I think... I'm thinking back about it and I honestly think um, just sort of the the connection that I'm able to have with clients and the presence um, is something that they notice and like do really appreciate. Um, I feel like I was like not quite there before or I was trying to remove myself. I was disassociating a lot more. I mean, I know a lot of us still do disassociated in sessions, um, but I definitely do that a lot less. Um, and yeah, I just felt more like I was actually in my body than like watching someone else do the thing. Um, and yeah, so I I definitely feel that way. That's I, I really value connection. Like it's a big part of what I do. Um, it's my favorite thing about doing GFE. And so yeah it really improved that aspect of my work
0: awesome yeah presence is so important like yeah like sometimes a lot of us can and I'm speaking just drawing my own experience too like I'm just in another world I'm not really paying attention I'm not there at that moment because I'm wanting to like when is this going to be over and just like yeah down. <laughs> you know what I mean and yeah <laughs> I feel like sometimes we all we all can can kind of go through that <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, I never do that anymore.
0: (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) But just a lot less. Yeah. (laughs) Like a lot
1: less. And I feel like I have a lot more empathy as well for clients. Like, um, yeah, like when clients are like uh, distant or weird or like gross or something, like I, I feel now like I can be like, what's like, what's going on with you? Like, are you okay? Like, I just feel like instead of dismissing it and pushing it away which like also is totally legitimate and valid um i just feel like now i have the strength to kind of like help them realize what's kind of going on for them
0: Mm -hmm. like beneath the surface cool um this one here is what was the hardest part about getting
1: sober um the hardest part about getting sober was probably the withdrawals um I woke up with delirium tremens, which is like when your body shakes and you sweat from alcohol withdrawal and you can actually die from it. Oh, my
0: God. Also,
1: one of my favorite beers is called was was is still called, but it was my favorite beer Um, delirium tremens, which I now find extremely fucked up. Like, (laughs) I'm like, what do you do? Why are you calling your beer? withdrawal from alcohol like that's messed up but um yeah the withdrawal was hard honestly and I have been saying this to a lot of people who have been considering going sober lately the first year is just not good it's just not fun like you feel like you're missing out on shit you are tired almost all the time you feel like lost and sad and scared and shitty like it's not it's not good the first year is just like not good Um, but Hey, neither were the last, however many years. So I feel like once I got through that year, which was, yeah, like the hardest part of going sober, um, and just like staying positive and being like, people keep telling me this is going to get better and I have to believe it. And then, yeah, it it did. So that's the hardest part. The first year. Enjoy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. Thanks for that transparency too. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Um, in an industry that is filled with substance, use and abuse, did you ever have fear that you wouldn't be able to operate at full capacity?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I thought i I think one really interesting thing about going sober was I didn't actually realize how many people are sober. Um, so I was like, all like all my clients drink like that's what we do. We drink, and we do drugs together. like that's the industry. That's my colleagues. That's everyone. but, nope, like I started advertising as sober and like so many people reached out to me and were like, wow, like I, I'm always like worried that I'm going to get triggered in my sobriety by like a sex worker who's using or something like that. And obviously I talked to them about how discriminatory that is because, you know, we're not all addicts, but, um, (laughs) I did find that, uh, yeah, that there's, there are plenty of clients who respect my sobriety like I even had um a dealer that I used to sleep with for drugs um contact me recently and um he came and saw me and it had been like it had been since addiction and he just what like looked at my apartment and like me and like how well I'm doing and everything and he is still dealing coke and like he was just like wow like I'm so happy for you and I'm so proud of you and like Yeah, a bunch of a bunch of clients are just really supportive, and like, there's more than enough. I mean, yeah, the if you want to work overnight and you know do the party people and make that money, like, yeah, it's more money. I'm not gonna lie, but um, uh, not like not it's not that it's not that much different, and like also you just like I feel like after not paying for drugs and alcohol, like it is the same amount of money. Like I make the same amount of money, um. I just work a little less maybe sometimes. I don't yeah. really know. What is this industry? <laughs>
0: and I forgot to mention earlier too, like I really think it's super cool that you include that as part of your branding. I think that's really awesome and it, you're able to shine that, that side of you. And also just, it's important. It's really, really important to put that out there.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I find like I kind of did it a little bit at first. I was kind of worried about it and then like the response was just so positive um, that yeah, I just kept, I kept, Kept doing it, and yeah, it's really, yeah, become a part of my brand for sure, and that's really helpful just because I don't have to be around it, and um, also, yeah, I get people who are like supportive of it, so I like it a lot.
0: I love that. I think you kind of mentioned this earlier today as well, but how do you deal with clients that drink?
1: Um, I have a policy that uh, if you show up visibly intoxicated. You are sent away with no refund. Um, so I don't <laughs> I don't deal with clients who drink. I did have one client who came over who was so drunk that he like almost fell over, and um, I did end up going through with the session just because I didn't really feel threatened and I felt like kind of sad for him and stuff. But um, I that does not that it just doesn't happen very often. Like I don't that someone shows up and they're they're drinking. So it's just kind of been my choice that I do not I don't deal with clients who drink. Like it's fine, whatever you do, like outside of the session. Like if you want to go after our session and go and get fucking super <laughs> drunk, or like I've had clients come over who are really hungover, whatever, like that's fine. I don't care, but I just like don't want to be around you when you're drunk. Like, what do I always say? I'm like, let's really experience each other. Like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: and wait last question here and I think you were already kind of going into this or you kind of addressed it too but if you have anything else to say but do you have many sober clients
1: yeah I have tons of sober clients um I have clients who are in the program I have clients who are sober curious I have clients who are sober because they can't drink or use because of medical conditions. Um, I have clients who have never drank a lot of Muslim clients who don't drink because of their religion. Um, Yeah, I would say like, I think like, probably about half of my clients are sober, actually. Amazing. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So cool. I mean, this this whole conversation was just amazing. And I'm really, really glad that I was able to share this on my platform and hopefully it will help someone that's out there listening as well. Or if you needed some extra resources too, hopefully this is going to be of help to you. Um, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Charlie.
1: <laughs> Thanks. I enjoyed it too. Are we friends now?
0: I think so. Are we? <laughs> but before I let you go, where can the audience find you?
1: Um, You can find me everywhere um you can find me on twitter and instagram like all my social media and OnlyFans. everything is at exp charlie um so that's exp c h a r l e e um and then my website is experience uh if you want to talk about sobriety ever or you're interested or you have any questions for me my dms are always open for colleagues especially um clients maybe like a little bit less but like if you're really fucked up you can dm me it's cool i'll talk to you (laughs) (laughs) just like get me something from my wish list (laughs) okay um yeah and then yeah that's it that's me everywhere exp charlie see you on the intro webs
0: yes and if you haven't clicked on the show notes all the links are down below so be sure to click uh be sure to follow reach out if you're curious if you have feedback anything like that go reach out dms are open and for everyone else listening at home or wherever you are commuting or driving a lot of people listen to this when they do road trips apparently <laughs> I've that a lot of times um it is uh stripped by Sia on all podcast platforms I am like on all of them so you can't escape me you'll have to listen pretty much everywhere and uh follow and subscribe if you really like the show and rate five stars review if you want to Send something nice on there. That's really cool. Um, and again, patreon.com slash stripped is me. If you want to help uh, financially support the show as well to go towards those website costs. And also, what else am I missing? Twitter, stripped by Sia. Instagram is stripped by Sia. It's basically stripped by Sia everywhere. And www.strippedbycia.com. I'm going to revert everyone to go there if you're going to want to pitch me Um to be on the shows, There's just a lot of things going on and the DMs are too crazy with that kind of stuff. And I have like really like formal pitches with talk points and everything in there. Not just your story about how have been dancing for 21 years or like you've been doing this for 10 years. I just need a bit more than that. So throwing this out there um and then we'll just see if it's a fit so pop on there the website should be live by now and that's it we have new episodes every single sunday so go on and listen and we'll see one next week thanks so much charlie thank you (laughs) bye You're listening to Stripped by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Belandorama, and photography by Ian Gabbard.